There is a growing wave of dire warnings by experts about mental illness. Like it just keeps growing and growing. We hear these public warnings about this. What is the key factor? I have read so many of these reports. Key factor is loneliness. What is driving our loneliness? Today, I want to talk about the dangers of loneliness because lots of things happen to us when we feel lonely. Health things, mental, emotional, the list is so long, it is so bad. But what is the primary culprit in our loneliness? What is driving our division? What is driving our addictions? Colossians chapter 2. I want you to know that I'm trying very hard to help you. To hear Paul, I mean, he's so, he's so into this. This is so important. And I'm trying to help those in Laodicea and others who have never seen me. Verse 2. I want them to be strengthened and joined together with love. Everybody, love joins together. Paul says it in his famous passage, known as the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, love rejoices with the truth. Love joins together. It rejoices with the truth. Lies rejoices with division. It divides us. And to have the full confidence that comes from understanding I want them to know completely the secret truth. Again, he's playing off this mystery theme that's been fully displayed for all the world to see. I want them to know completely the secret truth that God has made known. That truth is Christ himself. In him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are kept safe. Now, check out verse number four here. I tell you this. So that no one can fool you by telling you ideas that seem good, but are false. How is it that an idea can seem good, but it's a lie? How is it possible? It's possible because what we said in the very first week of this series, we have a universal addiction to sin, to pride, to being absorbed with ourselves, curved in upon ourselves. So it's a lie, but you know what? You can tell me a lie, but if it makes me feel good or it does something for me or it's my perspective or my way, I'm very easily led astray into lies. Just because it's through my lens, I need to back up and see a much larger world than myself. This is what the Bible is trying to get us to do for all people, not just me people, right? Just not me, not my own personal preference. So we have, we, we have this going on. That's why the players on the field of a professional game, whether it's football, baseball, or basketball, the players on the field don't decide the rules. The head office outside, because if the players did, you'd have chaos breaking out because they would never be in agreement. Never be in agreement. Now, listen, here's what Freud says. He says, most people are trash. This is what, Freud was brilliant, right? He he impacted uh, psychology so much. This is what he has the nerve to say. Most people are trash when it comes to ethics. Now, notice what he said. Most people. Most people, they're trash. Now, who are the few people who aren't trash? I I would uh, imagine that he's thinking that he is part of that select few who is not trash. Who, when it comes to ethics, he knows what he's doing. Ernest Becker writes about this in his book, The Denial of Death. 
we are so curved in upon ourselves as like, oh yeah, that person's trash and that person's trash. I'm not trash. That person's got the wrong perspective. That person got the wrong, but not me. It's good. You couldn't, it couldn't be me. My perspective on all these vast social issues going on in our world today that we're at each other's throats about, my perspective's right. I just need you to know that yours is wrong. This is what Freud is saying. Everybody else is trash except for him. We have an addiction to ourself. We lie to ourselves. We lie to others. We lie to God. And those lies are what feeds our loneliness because connection is rooted in radical honesty. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth. I'm the truth. The truth will set you free. I'm the truth. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Listen, if you want to be free, you'll need to come clean with God yourself and with others. Now, I want us to get ready uh, here. I'm going to try to set up for you this piece of this interview that is excellent from Dr. Lemke today. She is speaking about radical honesty. Now, think about this. Do you think your brain likes radical honesty? Do you think that Jesus was on to something when he says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free? When we're honest, it stimulates our prefrontal cortex. And our prefrontal cortex is where the voice of wisdom, reason, delayed gratification, and the ability to manage overconsumption, addiction, comes from. The more truth we tell, the more our brains have the ability, the brain power, not the willpower, the more our brain has the ability to manage addictions and to manage it well. But when we tell lies, we live a lie over and over and over again. That ability to manage overconsumption is lowered. Now let's go to Dr. Lemke and let's hear straight from her what she has to say. What role does radical honesty play and success with addictions. Right. So we often talk about the importance of having deep and healing and intimate human connections, but we don't necessarily talk so much about how to get them. And I propose radical honesty as a way to foster intimacy. What is radical honesty? It's telling the truth about everything, large and small. So not just telling the truth about our drug use, whatever it may be, but also about why we were late for the meeting, how much we spent on um, an item of clothing, you know, whatever it is. It turns out that the average adult tells one to two lies per day. So we're natural liars. And that in order to tell the truth, we actually have to work at it. We almost have to have like a little watcher in our brain sort of monitoring as we go along. But I've learned from my patients in recovery that telling the truth about everything is a really good practice for managing addiction, preventing relapse, and also fostering intimacy. Why is that? Because telling the truth about the things that we're ashamed of sharing, we think it's going to chase people away, but actually it makes people come closer and love us more because of the experience of shared humanity and our shared brokenness. It's also true that when we're telling the truth, we're telling true stories about ourselves. And the stories that we tell about our lives are fundamental, not just for organizing past experience, but also for creating healthy roadmaps for the future. And if we're telling stories that aren't true, for example, always blaming other people and never acknowledging how we've contributed to a problem, then we're not telling truthful narratives. And without truthful narratives, we won't know how to act going forward. And then interestingly, there's a lot of neuroscience now coming out suggesting 
that truth telling may in fact stimulate the prefrontal cortex. Mm. And the prefrontal cortex is that gray matter area right behind our foreheads that's so important for delayed gratification, future planning, and storytelling. And we know that when the prefrontal cortex is talking with the limbic brain or the pleasure pain pathway, then we've got a much better chance of being able to manage our consumption. It's when there's a disconnect between those two things that our gremlins and that pleasure pain balance start to run away. So telling the truth may be a very good way to stimulate the prefrontal cortex to strengthen it. We know whatever parts of our brain we use more often get stronger. And in strengthening that part of our brain, help us manage this problem of compulsive overconsumption, which is so pervasive in the world today. So it was so good what Dr. Lemke said and so powerful, right? We are natural born liars. Now, I don't want to say that about myself, but this is what all the studies are showing. We're natural born liars, which means it's going to lead us toward a disconnection and loneliness. We have got to fight against that and move towards radical honesty. Lies isolate. They did it for so many people in the Bible. Right. They keep us in bondage. They keep us ashamed. Now, Dr. Lemke uh, mentions a number of stories here that I want to reference. Maria was one of them. Maria struggled with alcohol. She drank. She just drank way too much. She couldn't seem to stop. She would say that she would go into the bathroom, turn on the shower so that those living with her, her husband or whatever in the story, thought she was taking a shower and she would go in there and she'd drink an entire six pack. And then she would fill the bottles back up with water and glue the tops back on, thinking, well, nobody will notice. It's not beer. It's actually water in there. You know, we just lied to ourselves, thinking that somehow it's all going to work out. And this was fueling the problems and the disconnection in our life or disconnection from other people, leading to isolation, all fueled by lies over and over again. Dr. Lemke talks about Odysseus in her book. This famous story from Greek mythology about Odysseus who tells his crew members on his ship to tie him to the mast of the ship, okay? And don't take him off. No matter what he says, don't let him go because he hears the sirens and the sirens are going to lead to destruction. And he tells his other uh, shipmates, the sailors on his ship, to stuff beeswax in their ears so they couldn't hear the sirens so they wouldn't be, they wouldn't hear and they wouldn't be tempted and they would have their lives destroyed. You have to ask yourself, why didn't Odysseus, why didn't he, rather than tying himself to the mass, why didn't he just put the beeswax in his own ears? And Dr. Lemke says this, because it is in the telling of the story is where our freedom comes from. I'll quote from her. She says, the slain was in the telling. We slay those monsters in our life when we confess. As the scripture says, confess your sins one to another. It's in the truth telling. Now you got to be careful, really careful. You can tell anything you want to God. You got to be brutally honest and we'll see later. That's what Jacob does. But you got to be really careful the person that you choose to in this world tell your story to, but you got to have them. You gotta have them, but you gotta pick very, very wise. You gotta be honest people, people that love you. We must confess our sins not only to God, but to someone else, a trusted friend that we will be radically honest with. I would encourage you, if you have the book, Dopamine Nation, to read chapter, the chapter on, uh, uh, radical honesty. It is excellent. Recounting truthfully our experiences gives us mastery over them. That's what Dr. Lemkin says. 
Dr. Lemke herself talks about the fact that she was addicted to romance novels, that she read the Twilight series four times through, that she was staying up late. It was affecting her family, was affecting her work. And one day when she was at a workshop with another student at this workshop, so the student just created a space where she's felt so secure that she finally, for the first time, spoke it out. I'm reading too many books late at night. Now, I didn't tell what type of book it was, but she finally spoke it out that she had an addiction, that she was reading too many of these books and it was affecting. And it was when she decided to finally be radically honest, radically, and now she's said it to the whole world, but when she decided to be radically honest, that's when the change began to happen in her own life. We are natural born liars and the Bible has been telling this story because the Bible is a story so much about human nature and our nature is to lie. Now we're going to go to the biggest liar of them all in the Bible, Jacob. His very name means liar or deceiver. He was one of the best that there's ever been. Like there's been a lot of liars in the Bible, but Jacob, boy, he takes the cake. Uh, his lying started in the, notice this, the darkness of his mother's womb. We're told that he's grasping on to his brother Esau's heel. He's the supplanter. Like he's grabbing, he's trying to take something away from Esau. So even in the darkness of his mom's womb there, his lying, his supplanting, his deceiving, we're told, actually begins. Then later, he, in the darkness of his father's blindness, encouraged by his mother, goes in. His father says, I want to give the blessing to my eldest son, which was Esau. And the mother says, this has got to be you, Jacob. This has got to be you, deceiver. So his brother Esau goes out to hunt game. And in comes Jacob shortly after, dressed up like Esau. And his father's blind, darkness. And his father says, who are you? And Jacob famously says, I am Esau. And his dad says, how did you get, how did you catch the game so quickly? How were you able to hunt this quickly and to come back and bring my favorite meal? And Jacob says, your God has given me speed. Now, remember that it's going to come into play in just a few moments. Well, after he steals this blessing from his brother by pretending to be his brother, his brother Esau says, I'm going to kill you. So he goes on the run, never sees his mom again, and he flees to Uncle Laban. Now, everybody, here's where he finally meets his match. You know, he finally gets to go up against somebody who was his true match as being a schemer and a conniver, Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban was a famous liar in the Bible. And Uncle Laban finally outdoes, outwits, outlies Jacob. And what, what was it that caused Jacob to be so weak and not see this lie coming a mile away? Because he should have seen it coming. Let me tell you what he did. Let me tell you how he got into the position that he was in. He was, Jacob was in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. Oh my gosh, she was so smitten. He said, I'll work seven years just for the blessing, the opportunity to be married to Rachel. Now, Rachel has an older sister named Leah. And so that night when they get married, Jacob, he's been drinking. And again, notice it's in the darkness of the night. And he goes into the wedding tent thinking it's Rachel. And it's actually her older sister, Leah. And in the morning, the light he sees, oh my gosh, what caused him to be so seduced by the lies of Laban? He was vulnerable because of love. For the first time in his life, he truly loved somebody. 
Now that, that's a whole nother sermon right there, but it made him vulnerable. Now, for the next many years, Laban, Uncle Laban schemes and lies and pulls, I mean, just does all kinds of bad stuff. So finally he flees, he runs away. He takes all of his family. He's got two wives now. That's a mess. He's got two concubines. That's a mess. And he goes back home and he hears that his brother Esau has heard he's coming and he's got 400 armed soldiers with him. And so he freaks out. So he divides his wives. He divides his concubines. He divides all of his kids. I tell you what, everybody, uh, liars create a mess, but they definitely create a mess of their families. They definitely create a mess with their families. How many of us know somebody who has been a pathological liar like Jacob that's done nothing but create a massive mess with their family? This is what Jacob's done. Now, here we get to the big moment in his life of this liar. He's divided so many things. He's so isolated. And we're told after he divides everybody up, he goes away by himself all alone in the darkness. Have you felt that way? See, the way out of our darkness and our isolation is radical honesty with ourselves, with God, and with others. And he is a liar, and all of his lies have driven to a place of darkness and loneliness, and it's deep, and it's dark. And it is the key factor that we read about in all these studies that is driving the pain inside of us and leading to so much anxiety, depression, and even suicide, because we live in a culture saturated in lies and we're locking on to some of those lies and our brains don't like it. To combat this, we need to go after radical honesty. We need to be guided by something above and beyond us. We need to investigate truth and cling to truth, not personal preference. Not because somebody else said it like, oh yeah, I believe that. We need to believe things that are true. And now Jacob... He's all alone, this liar in the darkness of night. And this man shows up, we're told, and picks a fight with him. And they wrestle all night long. They're sweaty and they've just been grappling all night. And now the light's beginning to start to dawn. And the man who showed up, who's actually God, says, let me go. And Jacob's like, I'm not going to let you go. And then here comes the famous question. This man wrestling with Jacob asks him the same question that Jacob's dad asked him. What is your name? Who are you? And here's the moment of truth. What will you say? Will he say, I am Esau, like he did before? Will he lie again? Will he keep up with his lying ways and his whole life just be an absolute mess? Is this how he will die in bondage, addicted to lies and to sin? And instead, he says, I am Jacob. He finally tells the truth. I am liar. I am deceiver. This is who I am. I'm addicted to something. I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to substance. I'm addicted to buying stuff. I'm addicted to food. I'm addicted to porn. I'm addicted to whatever. This is who I am. I am this. Here's the truth. I'm laying it out on a platter for you. And God says, wow, now you can be transformed. Now you can be free because of your radical honesty, because you've told the truth, because you confessed it. Your name is no longer a liar. You've been transformed. And as the light is beginning to come up, God says, your name is no longer Jacob. It's Israel. The whole reason we call Israel Israel is because this moment right here, this is such a big moment. 
because everybody, our freedom is found in radical honesty and telling the truth, not personal preference, not spin, not because it's just the way I like it, not because it's just the people on my side and see things my way because it's their way. No, no, it's just truth. I'm going to tell you the truth about the things I'm doing. I'm going to tell you the truth about my addictions. I'm just going to speak the truth and it's going to set me free. And as we saturate our minds in truth, it activates our brain and it helps us. It helps us to listen to wisdom and reason and manage the consumption that's out of control in our lives. And that is what Jacob did in that moment. Now, finally, one last thing. Check this out. We're told that God strikes him, throws his hip out of socket. For the rest of his life, he has to walk with a limp. For the rest of his life, he has to be slowed down. Now, why is that interesting? Because when he went before his father and fooled his father and said he was Esau, not Jacob, he told his dad, he says, hey, the reason I got back so quickly is God gave me speed. See, we speed our way into lies. We make quick, hasty decisions that are wrong. We need to slow down. We need to investigate. We need to seek the truth. We need to understand. We need to activate our brains and do what our minds really, really need. And now God is saying, I'm going to slow you down so you can think about the truth because it's the truth that will set you free. And truth is not something that is done like that. This is what God is speaking to us. In conclusion, I want to tell you a story that's in Dr. Lemke's book. I think it's absolutely excellent. She tells it about a young man named Drake who was in medical school. And while he was in medical school, he got stopped by the police and they gave him a test, a breathalyzer test, and he had above the limits of alcohol and so he had to go to court for this. Well, he went because he was he was somewhat of a wealthy student, good family and all this kind of stuff like this. His parents struggled with alcohol. His parents struggled with lying and all this type of stuff. And he began to think about it. And the lawyer said, hey, look, you, you got no problem. I'm not even going to go with you to court. I, you don't need me to go with you to court. Pay me 5000 bucks. You walk into court when the judge says guilty, not guilty. You say not guilty. All you got to say is two words, not guilty. Well, he had some time to think about this. He began to think about his life. And when the his case was called and he walked up before the judge and the judge is just kind of just going through the motions, not really paying attention. You can read the story yourself in her book. It's 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 good. It's much longer. She gives a lot of other details. He says guilty, guilty as charged. And with that, the judge sits up and says, excuse me. Nobody does this. A medical student. This will be on his record forevermore. It will always cause him a problem. He says, guilty as charged. And she says, this is many years later, Dr. Lemke interviewing. Why would you say that? He said, it was that moment that changed my life. It was that moment when I decided to be rooted and grounded in the truth. And even though it caused me a lot of problems down the road, even though it's caused me a lot of time, it is that moment where I made that decision because it breaks it breaks our disconnection from ourselves, God, and others. It breaks our connection with our addictions. We have to cling to radical honesty. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And now we come to communion. Communion. Today, I want to emphasize something that is very powerful and practical about communion. When we eat food in the world of nature... The strong always eats the weak. The strong, me in this case, I would be absorbing whatever I am eating. But Jesus Christ flips the script on us. Because when we take communion, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. We're not proclaiming ourselves as victors. We are proclaiming Christ, the ways of Christ. 
The ways of Christ is what sets us free. The ways of Christ is what ends our loneliness, the dangerous loneliness that exists in our world. It ends it through radical honesty. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life. So here's what I'm asking you to think about today. As you take communion, ask that the Spirit of Jesus Christ would fill your life and give you the courage, and boy, it takes courage, to be radically honest in a very wise way. That it would lead you to the connection with God and others that we all need. That it would lead you to the freedom that is there for us. I'm going to pray and then we'll eat and we'll drink together. Jesus, thank you so much for what this meal means and how you love us and want to lead us to freedom. Bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup. In Christ's name, amen. We're told that everyone, Jesus Christ, took the bread. He said, this is my body that is broken for you. And this is the cup. It's my very life poured out for you. Let us eat and drink together. everyone, let's close with praying together the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In Christ's name, amen.